we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we purchased a murder house. That's right. We went out, we bought a murder house, or maybe it was gifted to us, or maybe we inherited it. But all the same, we're going to go inside and see what happens. So for those of you that don't have any clue what that means, we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh my gosh. So fair warning, there will be spoilers. Yes, but wait, before before we get into spoiler territory, I want the audience to know that when, not if, when they go see this movie, they should be aware that there are two credits scenes, one that is mid-credits and one that is post-credits. I'm not going to say more than that. I just want you to understand there are two credits scenes. And uh, be grateful that you're knowing this because I went the first time and only saw the first one and then was told there was another one. So I had to go back to see the movie again. Yes, that was a really hard arm twist. Mm, uh-huh. So difficult. Yeah. Um, and the movie is still as good the second time. But yes, there are two. Um, it is much like a Marvel movie. There's one fairly early on in the credits and then one at the very, very end. And the credits were worth watching anyway, so it worked out. Uh, oh, so. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah. them. It's, it's always interesting watching all the names that are on there. And yeah, it's just like, wow. Yeah, you, right. watch an old, you watch a movie from like... Uh, the 40s and 50s and the credits aren't that long uh well i don't know because well because in older movies they front loaded the credits right yeah and it and had all the dramatic music and then like all the credits on the screen but the you know like with ghostbusters like there's at least a good five minutes of just nothing but everyone that worked on cg and stuff like that that's true you know and then you get another like five minutes of just the orchestra <laughs> all right so hang on so let's let us get back to the spoiler gate at this point from this point forward we make no promises that there are no spoilers this is no longer a spoiler free zone if you have not seen ghostbusters afterlife that is on you also we love you please come back when you've seen it yes so I, you're a huge Ghostbusters fan. You and I are almost the same age. You, yep. uh, l- let me ask you, I, I want to interview you a little bit here. I want to ask you sure. some questions first and then we'll go, we'll go back and forth in a minute, but hang on. So when you were young, when you were but a wee lad, yes. um, did you see the original Ghostbusters in theaters? Yes. Both of and them. Both of them. Yeah. Same. Ditto. Ditto. Yeah. Um, which was interesting being my age and seeing the first Ghostbusters, especially when we get to like Zool and the gatekeeper and the key master stuff. That was real interesting for a little boy. But um, but all that said, uh, we've got Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2. And for the purposes of this discussion, allow me to also throw in there the Ghostbusters answer featuring the, the... Yeah, answer the call. There's... Uh, and let's just focus on the cinematic universe. And now there is Ghostbusters Afterlife. In your opinion. Oh, but but you're forgetting about the real Ghostbusters cartoon. I almost said it. I almost said the real, that, but, but I just want to focus on the cinematic universe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've got these four movies. Yes. If someone were to ask you, having never seen any Ghostbusters movies, 
what would your recommendation be in terms of order and which of these movies they ought to view? Oh, um, one, two, afterlife. Don't even watch it. Answer the call. You know, I hear that a hundred percent and I feel the exact same way. Um, and, and not that answer the call is a bad movie. It's not a ghostbuster movie. And I get now they're kind of saying it's an alternate universe. Um, Man, man, man. And I think they're doing that because it's the easy way to explain a bad movie. Out of, out of, <laughs> um, Truth. And it has not, my opinion on that has nothing to do with the fact that it's an all female cast. I think an no. all female cast still could have done very well. Yes. And, I, and the cast they chose largely was a really strong cast. I, I, I honestly think the casting was bad. Um, it had potential, you're right, but I think it came down to several things is um, bad script. They went too far away from what Ghostbusters was with you know, the weird proton packs, the weird weapons, like the chomper thing that sucked them in like a wood chipper and shot them back out. It just, uh, it just went too far from... I agree. I loved as Ghostbusters. Um, and I think some of the casting was good. Some of the casting yes. was um, Chris Hemsworth as a complete bumbling idiot. Amazing. Yeah. So, so on that, on that wise, like, okay, I agree with you. Like Chris yeah. Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth, because of all of his work as Thor, I think has gotten a bit of a typecast. However, if you've seen him in, netflix's um extraction yeah like there are other movies in which he appears as not thor yeah. and he's a stellar actor like he's a powerful actor yeah. uh melissa mccarthy i used to pretty much pigeonhole her in my mind and then i saw her do a dramatic series and honestly i was kind of blown away i had no idea that she had that range it's just that she gets typecast a lot i i she's an actress i just can't watch unfortunately I used to feel very close to that, but recently I've changed on that position. Yeah. I mean, I've seen her in other stuff. I, I, I just, and that, and that's my opinion. Sure, I know other sure. people love her and that's fine. You're allowed to have an opinion, bro. You don't have to explain yeah. yourself. Kristen Wiig, I think was good in it. Kristen uh, Wiig is a consummate actress who also gets typecast a bunch, but she has range. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the other person, the other blonde. Kate or, McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Another SNL alum. Um, She's a funny human being. I think she's a funny human being, but I just felt like her character was too out there. Mm -hmm. you know, where she's licking her proton gun. It's not really a, a gun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So going and back then, to the Oh, yeah, go ahead. Because I, I, I did get off tangent there. Um, one, two, Afterlife. Honestly, I feel like that's a series right there. Yes. They work together. I feel like they gave a fitting end to that crew. And they also opened it up so that if they wanted to make future movies, they can without having to ruin the integrity of those films. I agree. Um, yeah, but I mean, honestly, I, I love Ghostbusters. I remember going to a friend's birthday party and I, this is how you know, Scott, He's been on the show. He, he's still a part of the show, even though his life's super busy right now. 
has a fully functioning proton pack short of it doesn't fire out uh, a, a beam. Yeah, highly detailed replica, much like our, our many and various replica sabers, right? Like yeah. this is a replica proton pack. I am so jealous of that thing. I remember as a kid, we went to this birthday party. It was a Ghostbuster birthday party. And I built my own proton pack. That was part nice. of the birthday. My proton pack consisted of a Wheaties cereal box. I was seriously going to guess a cereal box. And some uh, uh, paper roll tubes that was connected uh, <laughs> with um, yarn. Uh, yarn was the straps. Yarn connected my gun. And uh, we... We even mimicked the, the walk from the, the real Ghostbusters cartoon. <laughs> and, you know, and his mom was cool. We had ghosts that were hanging and we we're pretending to shoot them. Absolutely. You know, that's how much I loved Ghostbusters. I mean, it, it still it doesn't replace Star Wars in my, in my life, but. No, but it doesn't have to. It can live side by side. Right. But it had so many really cool things, even as a kid. I, yeah. You're right. I didn't understand the whole, you know, uh, gatekeeper heaving, you know, Sigourney Weaver heaving really heavy in the chair and, you know, talking in a deep voice. It's like, okay, she's possessed. That's, that's how I saw it as a kid. Yeah. You know, I didn't see the, the sexual innuendo side of things. Um, but, you know, there was mass destruction from, you know, the, the, the packs. You had Slimer that slimes, you know, uh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray. And, you know, you have Ray coming in. That's amazing. You got a full torso apparition or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and you got Harold Ramis playing Egon, which is just straight faced. Like, I don't know how he pulled that off. <laughs> I collect spores and mung- and fungus, like not even cracking a smile. And I, it's like, how can you do that? But he did it amazingly well. Yes, he did. You know, and there's just some great one-liners in, in that film. And then, then we skipped it number two. And I will admit, if anything, number two is probably the weaker of the films. Because it went a little weird. It did go. Sure, little, sure. You know, with the pink goo and the pink ectoplasm yeah you know you get a dancing toaster and you can make a lady you know the statue of liberty comes waltzing through manhattan um i'm not above it yeah but at the same time it wasn't horrible i agree i think that ghostbusters 2 probably gets criticized most because compared to its predecessor and now its successor um it is a weaker film but that doesn't make it a bad movie a lot of people i think kind of tease it and some people kind of hop on the social media train of hating on things but um i remember being in the theaters as a kid and i actually really enjoyed ghostbusters 2 i watched ghostbusters 2 multiple times for a long time there it was my favorite ghostbusters movie and as i got older and i understood storytelling a little bit better i kind of went back to the original um especially with the uh, technical feats achieved in the original. Um, They were just far more impressive than in Ghostbusters 2, but Ghostbusters 2 still had incredible redeeming qualities in terms of production value and and storytelling. And I really enjoyed that. I still joke about, you know, Vigo. Um, Yeah, I mean, you got Vigo, you got Peter McNichol. I mean, yeah. 
Yes. Playing this crazy art dude. And uh, you just can't go wrong there. Um, but yeah, it, it had some weird moments. I mean, like the bathtub that tried to eat the baby. Uh, like, what really? Go, what? Uh, you know, uh, you have the pink goo. Uh, the story just, it, I, it, I know what they were trying to do. And I, sure. and I get that, but it definitely didn't feel as dramatic and life-threatening as the first one did. Yes, I agree with that. And that's kind of like the difficulty of living up to this legacy. Yeah. Ghostbusters, when it dropped, think of everything. That they, ha- they had extremely impressive spectral eff- effects, right? They had great ghosts. You had Slimer for the first time, which became an iconic emblem of the series, so much so that in real Ghostbusters, he's a key character, right? Um, He makes an appearance in Ghostbusters too, but like he's kind of along, he's he's kind of like the token ghost, right? Um, And like the first, and and then you had the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, this giant kaiju-sized physical apparition that attacks manhattan you have the demon dogs you have zool you have the relationship between the gatekeeper and the key master you you know you have someone who's close to the team who's part of that possession like there is so much there in an hour and 40 minutes that how do you how do you successfully create a sequel to that well i mean not only that in the first movie you have rick moranis yeah and, yeah, with- now, and now with the further details of what has to happen between the gatekeeper and the key master, I got to give him props now. I mean, right? Because he for Dana Barrett, and we had know what had to have happened. Uh, it's, right? It's not just a mooch and a kiss. Um, you know, like the one girl said in Afterlife, "Go, mom." Um, yeah. <laughs> So, so, uh, but, so now, let's take a step back, and, though. And then you have Walter Peck. You have Walter Peck mm-hmm. in the first one. Uh, it is just really the jerk of the century and shuts off the containment unit and all heck breaks loose at that moment. Right. He was, he was yeah. like, if you ever needed a douchey bad guy in the 80s, that was that, your guy. That actor was him. That was I your mean, guy. Uh, is it real? Is it? Uh, real science yeah real science he plays that same kind of Mm -hmm. uh, character uh biodome same guy in biodome with you know uh uh what's his name uh biodome had a uh paulie shore yeah and it had one of the baldwin brothers paulie shore and and one of the other uh baldwin brothers yeah um but yeah he plays that type of character very well yes he does Yes, he does. He's spot on. Now, with the new movie, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I feel like it makes a consummate trilogy. And the third movie, what I was surprised by, well, let me ask you this. Like, what, what surprised you most as a, as a lifelong fan? What surprised you most about the third movie? Um, I mean, really, as far as the third movie, it opens up strong. Like, it opens up like a really good action movie. You have a a fast action scene that hooks you in. And then you're left wondering, 
and there's this kind of long drawn out period um, that kind of surprised me. You know, like with the other ones, you know, you have, you know, let's use the first one for example. You have the library scene. Yes. And, and you know, the, the librarian does her evil roar and then the Ghostbuster thing, the theme comes on. Oh my um, gosh, iconic. Kind of kick into, you know, their everyday life. And it's kind of that slow. I think they got, I was surprised by the pacing. Uh, it was very similar to that first movie. Um, but it took a while. It took a long while for this one to pay off, in my opinion. But I understand why, you know, after seeing it the second time and after the movie finalized it, because it really was, I mean, this this movie really was a love letter to, to Harold Ramis, in my opinion. It really was. It really, even in the title alone, right? Yeah, and it was definitely, they wanted to do it right for him. And I was very surprised that even though Harold Ramis isn't with us, you can feel that he was in that movie. Like, uh, I mean, the character, obviously, they, they were showing that by sure using the lights, using the PKE meter, um, him opening drawers for his granddaughter, and then eventually, yeah. showing, you know, showing what his daughter thought was incorrect, um, that she did matter. I really was surprised that just simple tricks like moving a light really made me feel like he was there. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. I was so impressed with that and so surprised. Like, you know, and I, I, we can talk about the end later, but those simple things right there just made me, I, it, it, had I not known I would have totally believed Harold Ramis was alive and the yeah. character Egon really existed. Um, and it was such a simple, simple thing. I absolutely agree. I hadn't really given thought in that, in that way, but you're absolutely right. Like he was still a firmly present character in the film expressed through physical objects. And of course, yeah. And of course, um, in the intro, that that iconic silhouette, um, I thought they did a great job. Like when I saw his silhouette, I knew exactly who they were trying to portray. Yep. And, it, and it didn't feel uncanny. It didn't feel puppeted or forced. It was a real person with a brilliant profile that matched Harold Ramis's. Oh, yeah. And you didn't really need to see him to know who it was. That's uh, right. The other and I really give them props for that uh, because they could have done a fake, you know, like we've seen in other movies. Um, but I don't think they wanted to do that. No. And it was it was a good way to do that and still allow for him to be there. And you know, I thought it was gonna it was gonna really rub me wrong. The you know the way they they had all the guys split up and it, you know the first con the first time we see Ray Stance. Uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd talking and it's like, uh, you know, Egon can go to hell. I mean, that's exactly kind of the phrase. <laughs> and his granddaughter's like, he died last week. Like, just completely deflates the situation in, yeah. in, in that. 
And he's like, oh man, I'm sorry. And she's like, what happened to you guys? And you just hear this. I mean, there's this whole buildup of his daughter doesn't like him and she doesn't understand why he didn't care. And the, you know, his old partners, you know, he screwed over and they, he doesn't care and he can barely keep the power on and all these things. And then you find out that he was the lone guardian. Yeah. Standing before the apocalypse and he sacrificed his happiness so that he could stand guard and protect the world. I mean, when you, that unfolds, you're just like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Let alone, then they start, as, you know, and as this story is unfolding, they're tying in things to the original movie, you know, because this town is where the selenium girders for the building that we see in the first place were yep. built. And not only that, the guy that built that building is the founder of this city. And then they find his casket and he's still like in there. Yeah. One point where, you know, he turns and looks at one of the kids and I'm like, what the crap? Like it's, and you know, it's just, it just kept unfolding and all these cool things. It was just like, this is just a continuation of the story we've loved. Um, Podcast. I love podcast. I felt like the character podcast was great. younger depiction of dan Aykroyd. well and yes like i okay so this movie did something incredibly risky that i think we saw done with less success in the new star wars movies and that was they tried to replicate the formula of success from the first film right um and to that end they purposely drew a number of parallels directly in line with the original uh, to include you've got you've got the brash sarcastic member and that would be um the older brother that would be uh finn wolfhard right yeah. and then you've got yeah phoebe is exactly her grandfather egon you've got podcast yeah. who is effectively dan Aykroyd, and then they they grabbed uh another character i'm trying to remember who the fourth one was but they had a fourth one it was the girl that's right. That's right. So like they did this and it, it very, like when you do something like that, you risk offending the fans, you risk not living up to the original, you risk tainting what was good, but th- there were so many variables that came together so beautifully. Not the least of which is that Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman was the director of this film and Ivan Reitman was the director of the first film. So like it, it sort of, the, the parallels weren't cheesy. They were beautiful and they were well executed. Um, one thing that surprised me about this movie is how surprisingly kid-friendly this movie is. Now it's still a Ghostbusters movie. I think it's closer to PG than it is to PG, thir- or than it is to G or PG-13. Um, but I was actually kind of impressed at, the lack of foul language use, the fact that what they're doing might be creepy or spoopy, but like in a fun and engaging way without being cheesy. Um, like I was surprised at how accessible and age-friendly this movie was. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw it, I took my kids. Um, you know, my younger kids loved it. And I think they went that route because it fit. And because we have these younger kids. It wouldn't have fit having those kids swearing and cussing and doing stuff. It just, it wouldn't have. 
Yeah. Um, and and even really, honestly, if you look at the original Ghostbusters, there wasn't a lot of swearing in that one either. Um, there, but in, but in the 80s, a PG movie could have a lot more content in it yeah. now than or then than it could now. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a lot there. So I think they were trying to keep the same formula, uh, you know, knowing there's some adult stuff that hopefully will go over the kids heads. And at the same time, kids can watch it and still enjoy it. Uh, you know, the, the weird caterpillar looking ghost that was just eating everything was fantastic. I mm -hmm. enjoyed that. Um, you know, the first time she takes the proton pack out and she's like, did I hit it? You know, podcast like, did you hit it? You pulled the whole freaking thing up. It's gone. I mean, <laughs> I just, I loved it. And not only that, I think they kind of even nodded to that. He was kind of like Dan Aykroyd's character. Cause at the yeah, end yeah. he's like, you know, he, they talk about the podcast and he's like, that's you. And he's like, you're my subscriber. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, it really got its voice at, you know, episode 46, which is like what he said before. So it's mm -hmm. like those two and the mannerisms were very similar. Even uh, him wearing like the spectral goggles, you yeah. know, like from the first film, which yeah. is a very Dan Aykroyd. Like they, they were pretty blatant in each character's intended role. Oh yeah. But, yeah. but in, yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing that's weird is the way it was executed. It's endearing, not insulting. It's yeah. it, it and it is an homage. I, I think the best way to sum it up is exactly what you said earlier. It was a love letter and yeah. it was a love letter beautifully executed with respect, with with genuine love, with humor, with without being a cash grab and a film by committee mm -hmm. and a, you know, a studio bastardization of a real IP. Yeah. Well, and not only that, you know, uh, it's Phoebe, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. They didn't try to make her a Mary Sue. She screwed up. Um, you see one point where she gets really angry at the, the sheriff of the town because yeah. he's saying crap against her grandfather that she's now starting to love and respect. And like, I am not weird anymore. I know who I, she's starting to know who she is because mm -hmm. she's like her grandfather. Um, and she gets really angry, like to the point she pulls that proton gun on him, you know, and it's like, whoa, but she makes mistakes. You see them all make mistakes, which yeah, again, we saw in the original movie. And I think that's where Star Wars kind of fell away or, or, or messed up. You know, Ray had made mistakes, but she never really paid for those mistakes. Mm. You know, Phoebe, she made a mistake. They lost the car. She lost her proton pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, she had to, you know, and then, you know, eventually had to go get those back. But there was never consequences for her actions. And I think, I think that's something that we missed with Ray in, in Star Wars. You know, even Luke had consequences for his actions. You know, he needed to stay on Dagobah to train some more. He didn't. He went to go save his friends, which morally is what he, he that was him. That was his character. But he lost his hand because he wasn't ready to fit, fight Vader. That's true. Um, but when we look at, at Ray, what did she ever really lose? What consequences did she really have? And I think that's where, uh, what causes a lot of contention with those new movies. You know, she, she blows up the ship thinking she killed Chewie. And then next thing, you know, you know, next thing we know, 
they're back together and there's like there was nothing there was no consequences or no like oh my gosh i just killed a friend you know let's just get on the ship and let's go uh that, that's just struck me as odd uh, yeah on that wise i don't think they gave it the time it was due i mean even luke when he lost obi-wan kenobi i mean like there was there was there was loss there like that that signature yell in the bay and then him like losing himself to rage for a moment yeah. and then he's on the ship he's like i can't believe he's gone i realized it's kind of like 70s acting and it was a tad campy maybe by our standards today but then what happens after that like immediately they have to go into combat mode and they do and then you know later on he he you know he finds purpose but purpose does not replace pain purpose just gives you a focal point right but we, but we still got to see that we still yeah. got to freak out he lost his cool and then he's like he's gone i can't believe this and you know, and when and i get that that okay now they have this fight he has to compartmentalize that um but that makes sense with her there wasn't really that and, and i wish they would have shown more of that yeah um, but anyways um, yeah we, we could we could dissect that one for a while right let's get back so, to ghost so you have seen it twice now yes i've only seen it the one time um how did the second experience compare to the first oh it was just as enjoyable as the first time i i really thought oh this isn't going to be as fun uh, but it was fun it was still fun i still enjoyed the one-liners i still enjoyed seeing uh the events replay and you know and i still found myself giddy uh you know there at the very end when uh the original guys show up oh and yeah and i still teared up i mean yes the first time so we'll start talking about the end um you know fair warning we've already said spoilers but you know when there's that scene when they're you know the three guys are firing it at gozer and then no phoebe's firing first and gozer's like putting all of her effort into it and then you see this hand appear and steady the proton gun mm -hmm. and then you see you know egon um man the first time i cried i started weeping i, I started tearing up the second time it still was just as powerful yeah uh, it has that impact seeing that scene so like it still really had that like emotional impact for you it still had that resonance even though you knew what was coming even though you would you know you'd already seen this once before um i'm with you on that one I, i've only seen it the one time i had the same i had very similar emotional reactions but i also like the additions to the film like i think paul rudd as like a super cool rick moranis you know is like a great addition to the show. Uh, but I also, I mean, Paul Rudd is great in just about everything he's ever done. So there's that. Yes. Okay, so you know what? I took a moment and I looked up both the original Ghostbusters and the new Ghostbusters Afterlife on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm honestly a little surprised by the numbers. Um, the original Ghostbusters came in at, at least as it's currently scored, a so on the tomato meter it's a 97 percent 97 percent on the tomato meter certified fresh with an audience score of 88 the new ghostbusters has a tomato meter of 63 
a little on the low side, in my opinion. But the audience score is 95. It's higher than the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. What are your thoughts there? Um, well, I think part of that's also because we have new people coming in. Um, and so I think we're probably getting a, that audience score is going to be higher because we have old, we have fans that are scoring it and new people that are probably. That's true. They're looking, they're looking at the old movies as an older movie. And so it's like, it. that's know, true. This one higher. It's important because- to note that the tomato meter only has 73 reviews on the original film yeah. and the audience score has over 250,000 that's for the original film for the new film it's 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 inverted ratio wise it's like 246 reviews for tomato and only just over 5,000 uh for the audience score so that's something to consider yeah but no you're right um you know rick moranis is amazing and he plays that nerdy, geeky guy. Can Paul Rudd do it? I'm sure he could, but I like the twist they had. Yeah. You know, especially where it's like, uh, I honestly thought you were a gym coach. He's like, really? Thanks. <laughs> um, That's such a great line. Still, yeah, he still kind of had his, his kind of nerdy geekiness to it. You know, he, he is a scientist. He's a seismologist. Um, and, I, and I love the corny jokes that Phoebe kept doing. oh my gosh her dad jokes were like so well done you know in character yes yeah and they were they were delivered so dry just like Egon. it was just great i was being a little obtuse yes geometry joke yeah that's why i winked Uh, (laughs) um it was it was so great and, and and i enjoyed it but yeah, he had it. It was great. And it also kind of gave that love interest with their mom. Yeah. And uh, he was corny. He was also kind of their their guardian role model guy, you know, especially like, ooh, a ghost trap. And so it kind of gave some, you know, information, um, some world building without vomiting it on you. It was kind yeah. of a, a nice way to do it through this, the dialogue with the teacher instead of just like, reiterating what happened for the first movie so if you never saw the first movie you could still watch this one and understand it that's a good point like that this movie can stand on its own you don't have to see the first one you know something else occurred to me too as you were talking about this and especially with paul rudd it occurs to me that like back in the 80s being a nerd or a geek was not cool being a nerd or a geek would get you assaulted right like you were an, a, yeah. you were a social outcast. You were pariah. People wouldn't hang out with you for fear that your presence would suck down their popularity, right? Like that's what it was like in the 80s. And then even through the 90s, but then in the 2000s, especially like post Y2K, all of a sudden nerds started becoming a good thing. And today, quite genuinely with the advent of social media, with the hyper interaction and dependency that we have on technology today, nerds and geeks genuinely rule the world. Like we are the cool people now. And so I think it's really cool that they went from Rick Moranis, who does a great, quirky, awkward nerd, 
who anytime he gets the girl, we want to, we want to celebrate him because he's such a nice guy and he's definitely going to finish last. Right. Like Rick Moranis being the bumbling nerd really worked. And then you get Paul Rudd, the modern nerd. He's still a nerd. He's a freaking seismologist. He's only in town because he's interested in, in seismic activity. Right. And he teaches a science class at high school in the funniest way possible. Um, but like he's super dope. He's super cool in his button downs and his khakis because that's the modern nerd. And he does that so well. Oh my, okay. I just have to say, how funny is it that we have, he, he, you know, he's, he's, cause he's there to study and still make money. He, he's doing summer school and he's like, Hey, yeah, so apparently your school's still running on VHS, but I found this really cool movie uh, called Cujo, so I'm just going to let you guys watch that. <laughs> like, he didn't know what he was doing. He knew exactly yeah. what he was doing, right? Yeah, you know, and then, you know, when Phoebe comes in, he's like, well, there's a really cool movie in there about a dog mauling people, and she's like, <laughs> you know, and she's kind of like, uh, you know, starts going off about, you know, the... Uh, the what I can't remember the name of the meter, but all that, and the, it was the Richter meter or like the seismograph, yeah, then, yeah, the seismograph, and you know, the maps and that. And he's, you know, and then you start seeing how smart she is, and he, yeah, and that's where his character starts kind of showing up. Um, it, and then there's the Walmart scene, oh my gosh, which is just interesting. Well, it's, it's hilarious on so many levels, right? You go first, but I found so many things about that hilarious. You go first. Well, the, the first thing is, where did everyone go? Because <laughs> when, when he's walking to get the ice cream, there's lots of people around him. And then you hear a scream, and then it's like empty. You know, I, I, that's the one thing about this movie that really confused, you know, because you would have thought that he would have noticed people running away. Well, um, if so I could jump on that really fast, if I could jump on that, um, I think it's worth noting this movie was supposed to come out like a year ago. And so this movie um, was essentially made during the pandemic. And I, at least part of it was, and I highly suspect the Walmart scene especially was a pandemic scene. And I think that explains a lot of the, like, like the, the, the people scenery, like all the, all the extras, they just weren't there. I think that might be a big, uh, ass. I, I think that's why that, that happened, um, was because I think they, they filmed that scene during the pandemic that said, um, that's just like the, the mechanical reasoning for why it looked the way that it did. Right. But here are the things that I found hilarious about the Walmart scene. One, this is a nowhere town with a no, like, like you have a dirt farmer and that's the biggest news the, the town has heard in ages, right? And what do they have? They have a Walmart. Yep. Like even they have Walmart. I, I joked with my wife when, uh, when uh, or uh, no, it wasn't with my wife. I haven't taken her to see it. It was, it was with my buddy. I went to go see it. And uh, I joked that like, uh, wait a minute. No, I take it back. I did see it with my wife. Now I'm just confused. Anyway, point is I joked around that like the people who are on shift at Walmart are, are just serving the shoppers who are the other shift at Walmart and they just rotate and sell stuff to each other all day. Um, and the people who work at Walmart are just all the people who don't work at the, 
at the restaurant at the fast food diner yeah probably um no i mean that was just the weird thing to me is like you he's walking through and you see people moving around not a lot but there's still some people just a couple you know and yet suddenly they're gone but you know it was good it was it was hilarious seeing the mini marshmallows um it was interesting seeing the guardian uh dog like eating out of a giant bag of, of dog food can we stop for a second and appreciate that they use practical effects for that for oh, yeah. that opening for that for that opening moment like yeah there, i don't yeah i i watched it and i was like oh my gosh that's a practical dog yeah and like yeah they used puppetry and then they enhanced it with cg when they started doing the chase scene but like that the whole Walmart scene was to me a little reminiscent of like Gremlins 2. Oh yeah. And in in an endearing way. Gremlins 2, Gremlins 2 came out at a time when like there were a bunch of 80s pseudo horror movies that had sequels, and the sequels were just like dark comedies, even though the originals were serious films. And Gremlins 2 definitely falls into that. It's a dark comedy where the first film is extremely serious. Um, th- that scene in Walmart kind of had that same flavor where it's like a dark comic scene in uh, th- that follows uh, a couple of movies that are actually serious pieces, right? And even this movie, for the most part, was a fairly serious film with well-done comedy along the way, but the, but the storytelling was meant to be serious and intense. Um, the Walmart scene was just straight slapstick comedy for a minute and then the intensity of the of the demon dog chase yeah no it, it was a great scene i enjoyed it you know i even love the fact where he freaks out and throws the ice cream at it um but i don't i, I don't think that i could think of any other person other than paul rudd that could have played that character he was just uh, you know you know okay i agree with you with one exception, I think Sam Rockwell would have done a great job too. Yeah, I, but, I can see that, but he wouldn't have come across as a love interest, in my opinion. I, I don't. Well, I think I think the biggest difference between Paul Rudd and Sam Rockwell, even though both of them can pull off cool in their various ways, Sam Rockwell has a groove and a swag that is distinct and specific to him. Paul Rudd has always been a little on the nerdy side, but like a super cool nerd. And he's always been that like hilariously sardonic, sarcastic individual. Um, So they both bring like a different specific flavor. I agree that like, I think Paul Rudd brings the super cool nerd aspect that I'm not sure that Sam Rockwell could have brought as strong. And Sam Rockwell may have brought a little too much swag to the party in that case. Yeah. So here we are. We're getting to the end of our episode here. So let me ask you this. Um, you kind of hinted at it already, but let's look at what you and I consider to be the trilogy. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. That is a consummate, beautiful trilogy. Yeah. In terms of greatness, where does this movie fall within the trilogy? Hmm. as far as the greatness of the movies um i mean really you can see one and two and you don't or one and three three and you don't need to see two that's true two is just kind of this funny story that you can see on the side um these two the first one and afterlife 
fit together like a, a complete story. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've already said it before. I feel like two is the weaker of the th- of the three movies. Um, so I definitely would say that's where I'd say one, three, and two uh, would be how I would see it. But again, two is still worth seeing and still worth enjoying. Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. I think, I think what makes afterlife, I, I think part of what makes afterlife so enjoyable and valuable is what was established in the first film. If you, if you, if the first film never existed, afterlife would not be as good as it is. It would yeah. just be a story. It would just be a, you know, it, it would be kind of like a fun little family movie almost. I think it would lose a ton of its gravitas and value if the first film never existed. To that end, I think the first film still sits as champion in the trilogy in terms of greatness. Um, but Afterlife is a strong second. And even though I enjoy Ghostbusters 2 and I still enjoy Ghostbusters 2, I agree with you. I think it comes in third in terms of the greatness meter. Yeah. Is, is there something you wish that they had done differently with Afterlife than what they did? Yeah, I mean, I think if they somehow could have tied in the second movie, um, that would have been good. Because really, this is like the continuation of the first movie. Um, I would have really have liked to have seen some tie-in with that the second movie. You know, how, did, how does Vigo tie into all mm-hmm. this? Because, I mean, we're just, again, it was Gozer which, you know, that was the big baddie from the first one. And I get Gozer is probably the bigger baddie, but all these baddies have kind of been roaming around. It's, it, to me, it seems like they're vying for control or an opportunity to come back to, to our world to, to rule. So how does that factor in? That would have been interesting to see. You know, how, yeah. how does Vigo tie into stuff with Gozer? Um, and, you know, we, had, we saw this countdown. You know, and it looked like the countdown continued on. I saw that too. The countdown goes into like, what was it, 2045 or something like that, or 2030 something? I think it was 2045 or something to that effect. Well, and, and it still continued on after that. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I get, you know, by the end of the movie, we've stopped that. But did we really? Or is that just. Well, was that well, countdown just for Gozer or is that countdown for other things? See, I, I think a countdown is probably the wrong terminology. It's, it's more like milestones or event horizons, right? Yeah. Where it's like, we know that some event is going to occur, whether it stopped or not is irrelevant. It's some event is going to happen again, yeah. right? Um, and they kind of, they, they hint at that even, I mean, like they, they even had like the Stay Puft attack on New York was one of the events and they stopped that. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, it happened, but they mitigated it and they halted it, right? Well, yeah. So, and then there, you know, there's a volcanic eruption and stuff like that. So, it would have been nice to see that maybe the thing that happened with Vigo was one of those moments. Um, and, and I get by doing that, that opens it up. There can still be more stories. Um, the way they did it, there can still be more stories, um, which I like. The question. I, that's the thing I wish is there would have been a little bit of a tie-in to the second movie so that that second movie may have been able to be lifted up so that yeah. it could be one, two, and three in succession instead of just one and three can live on their own and you don't need to see two. 
Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. But with all that said, and I think you probably agree with me on this one, the truth of the matter is the way that Ghostbusters Afterlife attaches itself to the first Ghostbusters is a beautiful, amazing thing. And I'm yeah. kind of glad they didn't overdo it, right? Like, I'm glad they didn't stretch themselves so thin that it just became like a nature walk of nostalgia with no real substance, which we've seen and, before. And that is, the, and that's the other, the flip side to my argument is, yeah, even though I wish that, I'm glad they didn't because it could have stretched that too thin yeah. and then made this story not as strong as it was. I agree. I agree. Well, um, one thing I do want to, before we wrap up here, one thing I do want to acknowledge, and I meant to do this at the top of the show, and I apologize for not mentioning it. You may have noticed that there are only two semi-sonorous voices on the show today. We are missing the lush velvet voice of our dear friend Alton. It ends up that he is already working extremely hard with Santa and his elves to make your nerdy Christmas wishes come true. So unfortunately, he was not able to be here with us tonight. But just like so much Harold Ramis, he is definitely here with us in spirit and possibly some CG. You know, that, that brings up a really good question because I can see I, I can see Alton as our Egon, to be honest. Alton is our Egon. Absolutely. Now the question is, who are we? <laughs> I, 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 I am not sure. I think I might be some bastard love child between um, Rick Moranis and Bill Murray, but that's probably me giving myself too much credit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going around electrocuting people. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. I, I, huh? think, I think you... I think you are 60% Egon, 30% Ray, and, and 10% um, uh, uh, Bankman. All right. That's my, that's my personal assessment. Do it to me. Give me percents. And if you throw Janine in there, I'm going to be flattered. Uh, I don't know if I want to do percents because I'm just thinking like one person. You know, we're like, he is our Egon. Um, I think, hmm. I think you get as closest to Ray then uh, of, 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 if he's our Egon, I think you get us closer to Ray. All right. Hmm. Yeah. I'm Ray that only leaves two choices. Well, Rick Moranis is still in the pool. I'm just yeah. saying. I don't know if I count him as a ghostbuster, even though, you know, in number two. He showed up in number two. Uh, that was more of the, the guys. And oh my gosh, Scott Silver is is Lewis. Scott Silver is yeah, is yeah, Rick Moranis. I think, I think he might be Lewis. Um, man, I I think you might be right. You're probably more Bankman than than Winston. I will gladly take it, but I also understand if. Uh, Vankman is out of reach. Like I wouldn't have been mad if you had just said, "No, you're Winston." I would have been super down with that because no, Vank. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you got the panache and everything. I, I think, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate. Also, I mean, at one point in time, I did help my why I what my uncle had like an old hearse style ambulance yeah. that he did like glass repair out of, and I worked out of and and moved that vehicle around a bit. So for a moment there, I had something eerily similar to an Ecto-1. You realize Scott has one of those in his garage, right? I did not realize that. And now I feel like all my credit's destroyed. Thank you no, very no, much, it, Scott. It, it's still cool, but Scott's doesn't work and it needs to be fixed. 
Um, well, with his with his replica proton pack, I mean, does he also have a DeLorean? I gotta know. No, no, I wish. Well, uh, neither do I. So. <laughs> no, I mean, and this is where I'm coming from with the Venkman thing. I could totally see, you know, if we're facing down a demon, you would be totally be like, you know, we could have been a power couple. We 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 <laughs> so wonderful together, but you had to go ruin it with all of your your smiting and destroying. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could. Totally I would definitely tell the group when someone asks if you're a god. Oh my gosh, I love how they brought that back. Oh, in. I'm so glad they brought that in. Yeah, and then they're like, and then then Ray stops, like Ray, we've been over this before. <laughs> yes, I am a god. Um, <laughs> I love how they they did that again. But it was uh, brilliant. Yes, again, the dialogue was great. The story was great. This has had to put together a really well-written sequel um, and doing it in a way that doesn't ruin the previous films, speaks to the fans, speaks to new fans, and delivers what it should have. Absolutely. So, all right, folks. Absolutely. It is time. We're going to take off. We are out of here. Uh, if you haven't already... Go see the movie. It is well worth it. If you have seen the movie, let us know your thoughts. We definitely want to hear those thoughts. Um, and don't be shy about it. I know uh, we don't often get uh, people or listeners writing in, but we definitely want to hear your thoughts. Email us at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com or go to our website, dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Click on the little mail icon and you, you can leave us a message. But, um, you know, I'm just going to say, with that said, the next time you're asked if you're a god, please say yes. <laughs> oh, and Daniel, do me a favor. Uh, do Alton's outro. I don't even remember what his whole outro is. His whole outro is usually like he'll add some flavor text, and then he'll be like, dungeon crawlers, flavor text, tell your story, and then, you know, whatever oh, yeah. it may be. Whatever it may be. Yeah, dungeon yeah. crawlers. Uh, go when you're confronted <laughs> with a ghost, who are you going to call? Tell your Dungeon story. Crawlers. Whatever it may be. <laughs> I love it. That was horrible. <laughs> you know what? That just proves that we need Alton more than, than we, we ever do. appreciate. Because yeah, I'm, I'm just so used to mine. No, and you do it brilliantly. That That's the thing. That's why we're a trio. You yeah. do your thing. He does his thing. And I do whatever the crap it is that I do. And then we have a show. It's called Magic. It's podcast. Yeah. Speaking of which, that dude in the movie, he's one kid and he was better than all three of us. But that said, whether or not you live in a murder house or you live in a firehouse, always remember to be epic and don't suck. And stay for both scenes in the credits. Thank you very much. Remember, the force will be with you always.